It's really great to see you, to see, uh, well, about 35, 40% of you, because uh, the other one, they were here at nine, and then the other ones are online with us, so good morning to all of you that are online with us, 
uh, but it's, it's, good to, it's good to see see all of you here. So thanks for, for coming and celebrating with us. And uh, we're just going to give thanks to God, right? We just want to lift up his name and to be able to worship together. It's just an amazing thing. So, Father, we just want to thank you for all that you've done for us in our lives. God, there's been a lot of crazy stuff going on. And we'll just, just, we'll just admit it affects us. And we get frustrated or we get angry or we get scared of stuff. And it just, it just bothers us. And Father, I want to thank you that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You never leave us. You never forsake us. You're the Father of lights from whom all good things come. There's no shifting shadows in you. I just thank you for who you are, how you've treated us, what you've done for us in and through our lives. We are just so grateful for who you are and what you've done. And so this morning, with just a renewed sense of joy, we get to worship you together. We get to become part of that chorus that just lifts up praise to God. So thank you, Father, for this opportunity. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's worship together, huh?
to be able to gather. It's good to be able to hear each other's voices. That's important. We want to just stop and, and, and pray for our culture, our society. Uh, there's just a lot of stuff going on and uh, a lot of headlines being grabbed and produced and just a lot of unrest and frustration. There's just a lot of difficulty that's out there. I, I, I want to I just share these words with you. This is a, this is a quote uh, it, it's carved in the granite memorial uh, in Washington, D.C. It it's a quote from uh, Martin Luther King, Jr. He says, returning hate for hate multiplies hate, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of the stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. 
Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. You know, in the midst of all of the stuff that's going on, it, I think it's, it's really important for us to recognize that God has called us to be ambassadors of light. You are a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. You are the light of the world. You are his ambassador. He is making his appeal to the world through you. That God has called us to be lights in dark places and to recognize that he is asking us to be the ones that push back hate with love. He's asking us to be the ones that push back darkness with light. So I know everybody has an opinion and everybody has a thought and everybody has a side they want to be on. I want to call you to being on Jesus' side. Be on Jesus' side. And I realize that none of us can solve all of this. None of us can fix it. I mean, it'd be great if somebody here in the room had the answer that was just going to fix all the unrest and all of the issues and all of the years and years of hurt and pain, that somehow one of us had the magic way to do that. But the reality is you can love the person who's in front of you. You can bring light to the situation that you're in. You may not be able to fix the whole world, but you can respond with light in a dark place. You can respond with love in a place that's difficult. Keith came and shared with me this concept of, you know, where it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. He didn't have to. He could have gone around, but it was the most direct route. And just that thought that we as a church, I think, are going to have to go through some things we've been going around, some topics we've avoided, some situations we've not taken time to try to be concerned about. And I, I think that option of being disconnected and unconcerned is going to be taken away from us. And we're going to have to be connected. We're going to have to be concerned. We're going to have to be involved. And I want to ask you to be involved as a Christian. Not as a secular person who goes to church on Sunday, but as a Christian. Be involved. Love the people that are in front of you. Bring light to the darkness that's in front of you. Bring love to the hatred that's in front of you. We can do that. We can do that. And so, Jesus, we ask for your divine intervention because we're just going to tell you the problems are bigger than any of us can possibly solve or fix. We can't get to everybody. We can't have every conversation that needs to be had. We, we can't make every apology that needs to be made. We can't fix every situation. And so, Jesus, we're asking that you would come and be involved, that you would bring divine answers to human problems. But I pray, God, that you would help us to be a light to the world, that we would be a light in a dark place that we would be able to bring love where hatred is being expressed, light to where darkness has taken over. Help us, God, to be a part of the answer. We are your ambassadors. You are reconciling the world to yourself through us. Help us to represent you well. We ask, God, for peace. We ask for mercy. We ask for kindness. We ask for healing. We ask for restoration. We ask for wisdom. God, help us. Help us. Because we're in over our heads. So we're asking for your help. Help us represent you well in all the stuff that's going on. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 I'd, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd ask you to, to, you know, say hi to each other, but that's illegal. So uh, just, just kind of wave from a distance, you know, and just uh, let everybody know you're here. Yeah, just, just kind of do that. Just kind of, yeah, that's as close as we can get. That's as close as we can get. Okay, so somebody left their lights on outside. It's a silver Toyota. I, 
Does anybody actually know your license plate number? We stand up here when this happens and we read off license plate numbers like anybody knows what their license plate number actually is, you know? I don't know what mine is. Every time I go to a motel, I have to go back outside and get my license number so I can go back in and register for my room. I, I don't, but if you happen to know what your license number is, 784CSJ, it's a silver Toyota, your lights are on. So there you go. I thought Toyotas turned their own lights off. I thought they, were, they got there. <laughs> I, I've got this picture I want you to see. This is a picture that hangs in our house and uh, in, in, in our home. And it kind of represents uh, what, what worship means for us and, and does for us. And it kind of represents how, how Jesus does, or how Jeanette does these things with Jesus's help. So I'm looking, at the, I'm looking at the picture on that screen back there, but I'm not looking at the picture on this screen up here. So how does that, how does that work? Are we going to get it up here? Oh, there it is. Okay, good. We're going to get it up there. So you, you, you see that. This is, this is uh, Jeanette's the little girl on the right. Okay. So you, you, got, you got everybody else with their umbrellas up trying to keep the rain off. And you got one girl with her umbrella down with her face turned toward heaven. Uh, and and the, the, rain's, the rain's coming. Um, this is kind of a picture for us of what, of what worship is. And I, I, I think all of us can, can recognize that in the last couple of months, we've gotten a lot of stuff on us. You know, frustration and anxiety and anger and whatever it is that has happened, because we've all had emotional reactions and responses to what's happened in the last couple of months. And you've sensed just how different it is to be here to worship than it is to be at home listening to somebody else worship. It feels different. It's a different experience. And so tonight, I'm, we're just going to offer you this gift. It's not a big fancy event. Uh, there's not a lot of stuff involved. It's going to be Jeanette, a keyboard, and a microphone. That's all it's going to be. Jeanette, a keyboard, and a microphone. And she's going to sing here like she does in our home. And I'm simply inviting you to come. You don't have to come and sing. You can just come and sit. But I would ask you to take down your umbrella. Whatever that umbrella of frustration or of anger or of disappointment or of fear or anxiety, whatever, whatever that umbrella is, if you would just take that down, turn your eyes toward heaven and let God just rain on you and wash away some of this stuff that's gotten on us in the last couple of months. Is that, is that a fair picture? So again, it's, it's not a big event. It's not a big organized thing. It's just Jeanette, a keyboard, a microphone, and we're asking you to come and just experience what worship is like again and to let that, let that wash over you. So I want to I invite you to, to come and be a part of that. Six o'clock tonight. Sorry, I didn't say that. Six o'clock tonight. Yeah, right here, six o'clock. And uh, she'll just sing until I, she gets done singing. <laughs> Which, which, if her allergies kick up, will be shorter than rather than longer. But uh, hopefully, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have a handle on that part of it. Uh, and we'll be able to just kind of sit here in the presence of God and, and let the presence of God wash over us. Just, just please don't bring your umbrella. Because then the worship just goes away from you. Let, let God, let God rain, rain on top of you. Um, normally in the middle of services, we, we do the, the whole usher thing and, uh, you know, offerings and all of that, but it's part of the, the plan we presented to the county that said we wouldn't pass things out and we wouldn't collect things. Um, so there will be ushers at the door as you leave. And if you want to give that way, there's also some uh, boxes, some offering boxes that are on the walls, just kind of right outside these two doors here. Uh, and you can give that way, but uh, we'll skip that part of the service. Um, for the for the time being, uh, as we as we move ahead, did you get your did you get your human being? Uh, did you get your free uh, drink, coffee? Some okay? Uh, no, you didn't. 
Well, you don't have to because it, the, 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 if, you don't, if you don't use it, I don't have to pay for it. So, you know, so, you know, <laughs> so if you, did, you don't use the coupon, it's just, it just saves me money. But uh, anyway, I hope, hopefully you picked that up and you, you got that on your way in. So that's just kind of some of the different things that are going to be happening. We do have an announcement video now that we're back, and uh, it's going to just talk to you a little bit about how we can get, uh, get reconnected better as we move forward. So uh, we're going we're gonna to play this announcement video. Sunday experience. If you open up our app, you can click on Sunday Bulletin, and there you'll find all the sermon notes as well as discussion questions so you can follow along with the sermon and have a conversation about it afterwards. You can also take notes right there in the app and email them to yourself. In our app, you'll also find a full Bible, a list of events, all of our sermons, and a way to give online. So take yourself on over to our website where you can download our app at parkwaycc.com slash download dash app. I'd like to invite you to join us tonight at 6 p.m. Jeanette is going to be leading us in a time of worship. We'll be singing songs of praise and encouragement and just entering into a time of worship with our Lord. So please come on and join us here at Parkway in the Worship Center at 6 p.m. tonight. That's all I got for you today. Thank you so much for being here today. Be sure to stay connected with us online on Facebook and Instagram. So let's do church. I want to say thanks to Carissa. She uh, does all these videos, but she's been a real, real helper in this whole getting ourselves reorganized and doing things better online. And so again, good to see all of you that are online with us and uh, it's good to connect. Uh, so uh, I, well, I see a bunch of middle school kids already gathered over there. So if you're in, uh, if you're in middle school, uh, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, uh, so, and you're currently still in school, I think, right? You know, you haven't got out yet, technically. But anyway, uh, you meet with Pastor Kylie back over there. Those of you that are in first through fifth grade, you're going to meet up here with the team. And uh, as you guys are coming up over here and the uh, middle school are meeting over there, I'm going to invite Bethany to come up. Some of you uh, met her last week at our volunteer meeting, but uh, the rest of you didn't get a chance. And um, we've got a microphone that we think actually works this service, so that's going to be a good thing. So, uh, <laughs> Good morning. You guys look so beautiful. I'm excited to meet you. My name is Bethany Kuhn, and I am going to be taking over as the kids pastor here. Um, I'm originally from Tulmuk, Oregon. I don't know if you know Justin and Kylie. 
but my brother is Justin. So I'm really excited to be uh, working with family. I'm really passionate. Um, I grew up as a pastor's kid, and so I kind of saw kids' ministry done 20 billion different ways. So I'm really passionate. What was really important to me growing up in the church uh, is hearing God's voice. Um, so as I move in and take over as the kids' pastor, one of the things that I will um, be implementing is just times to hear God's voice because I feel like that's really important. You can learn facts and you can learn different things, but when you actually experience who God is and that he speaks to you, I don't think you can get away from, from that for the rest of your life. Um, so that's one thing that I'm going to really focus on, but I'm so excited to be able to be up here and to meet you guys from a distance. Um, if you want to come say hi when I'm running about with the kids, you can, and I would love to meet you. Thank Great. you. Thank you, Bethany. Thank you. Thank you. St. John is going to be moving into uh, more of an admin role and uh, kind of supporting the ministry team and keeping us in line and legal and paid for and all that kind of stuff. So uh, he's going to be doing that. But thanks for incredible uh, years of work that you've done. And we'll be talking more about that later. But we want to, we want to pray for all of our students. Okay. Are, are you keeping socially distanced over there? There's a big long row of you over there. Just, everybody's yeah, staying apart. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, you don't have to. You do, do whatever you want over there. So, Father, I thank you for each and every one of our students. I pray to your God that they would, as Bethany talked about, hear your voice. And in the midst of all of the other voices that are telling them this is who you should be and this is how you should think and this is what you should do, I pray to your God that they would hear your voice because you're the one who created them. You know what they should be doing because you created them to do it in the first place. It's what they're good at. And so I pray to your father that they would hear your voice and they would know your will and that they would be transformed by that, but that they would also become people who change their world. So thank you, Father, for each of our students. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Have fun. Have fun. Have fun. I want to just uh, remind you as uh, you know, part of why we're, we're gathering the way that we are and, and doing the different services, you know, 9 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 11 o'clock online, and how, you know, trying to make all that happen. Um, and we just laid out these three things, and we'll probably share these with you again just so that you'll be able to be clear about them over the coming weeks. But the first thing that we said was that we wanted to be reasonably compliant to the issues that were involved in some of the regulations. And we said that language very specifically, that we could be reasonably compliant, because when the rules are changing every few days, it's hard to be completely compliant. And then when the rules are contradictory of each other, it's impossible to be completely compliant. So the best you can be is reasonably compliant. And so what we've said is we're going to be reasonably compliant to the regulations that we see coming out. The other thing is that we want to be respectful of our neighbors. And the reality is, is that some people have some significant medical issues that would cause them to say, I, I, you know, I, I can't be involved in that. Um, other people have some kind of more emotional issues about uh, wh why they, they feel they can or cannot be involved uh, with what's happening or gathering in, in large groups of people. And so we want to be respectful of our neighbors. And then we want to be biblically informed. There are some changes that we are making because we believe that Scripture talks about some things. Uh, and that's where we want to go today, is to talk a little bit about being, being biblically informed. So uh, what we want to do today is talk about some of the themes in the book of Revelation. So let me just ask this. How many of you have ever read the book of Revelation? It's the last book in the Bible. Have you read that? Okay, well, fair number. How many of you understand the book of Revelation? Know what it means? Got all those trumpets and vials and angels and standing on the land and standing on the ocean and wormwood in the water. You got it all figured out? 
Yeah, okay, I, neither do I. Um, so <laughs> uh, I, I'm just going to tell you, we're, we're going to talk about the themes that come out of Revelation, which is when you kind of get back, and as one guy said, you get kind of the 30,000 foot view, you can kind of begin to see some of the themes that run through the book, but we're not going to get into the details. So I will tell you that I'm not going to tell you when Jesus is coming back. Because uh, that's, you know, people say, oh, pastor, we need to study Revelation. What they want to know is when is Jesus coming back and who's the Antichrist? Those are the two questions they have. I'm not going to answer either one of those. I don't know when Jesus is coming back and I don't know who the Antichrist is. We're not going to get into those kind of details. What we're going to do is to look at some of the themes that begin to come out of the book of Revelation. I, I don't want this to be a whole series, uh, but it is going to take us a couple weeks. We're going to look today at the themes that come out of the book of Revelation and how they relate to our current events. And then next week, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 24 and 25, because in that chapter, it starts with the disciples coming to Jesus and saying, how's this all going to wrap up? And he explains some things to them in Matthew 24 and 25. So today we'll look at the themes of Revelation. Next week, we'll look at Matthew 24 and 25. And from there, we'll then move into our study that's coming up out of uh, 2 Timothy. I do want to give us some kind of fence posts or, or some guidelines that'll say, okay, we're going to go down this path and we're not going to go over there. So let me just give you, give you three quick things that would be maybe some guideposts for us. Um, first of all, one of the things we need to understand is that Christians from the very first century were asking, is what we're going through the end times? And we use that phrase, end times, to talk about the period of time just before the return of Christ. That's typically what we mean when we use that phrase, end times. They've been asking that question early on. I mean, when, when Nero decided to start persecuting the church and the church began to face genuine political and physical opposition, they began to ask that question. This is not a new question. We're not the first people to ask. But it is, I think, important for us to try to learn from the situation that we're in, what is it that we're experiencing? What we really want to ask is, has there been a political cultural shift in our world? The ways that we use money, the ways that we use power to control the lives of other people, is that predicted in Scripture? And if so, how? So we're going to see how it fits in with what we're going through. Uh, secondly, this is not a political discussion. This has got nothing to do with being conservative or progressive or Republican or Democrat or socialism or democracy. Or It's got nothing to do with any of that. I realize that when you look at events, you can try to explain them from political theory. You can try to explain them from economic theory. You can try to explain them from sociological theory. The reality is what we want to do is look at what does Scripture say? What is the theological, the God understanding not the political understanding, not the money understanding, not the culture understanding. What is the God understanding? Theology. We want to look at it from that perspective and try to figure out what's going on. We're going to talk about the fact that there are two kingdoms that are at, world, uh, at work in the world. There is the kingdom of darkness, and the concept of the kingdom of darkness is this. Here are human problems. What we need are better human answers to human problems. Then there is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God says, here are human problems. What we need are God answers to human problems. And so we have these two opposing concepts that are at work in the world at the same time. And connected to that is this running theme, and you'll find it if you, if you actually read Revelation. And that's what I would encourage you after we talk today. Go back and read the book yourself and kind of see if you can understand it a little bit better. But you'll hear about Babylon. 
Babylon is used in Scripture to be an actual place. It's used to be an actual kingdom. There was the kingdom of Babylon. It's from the area that you and I know as Iran. They came over, destroyed Jerusalem, hauled the captives off. Remember Daniel and the lion's den and the three Hebrew guys and fiery furnace and all of that. That was the kingdom of Babylon that came and destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed the temple and all of that. So it was a place. It's a kingdom. It's also a philosophy. It is the human expression of the philosophy that says what we need for human problems are better human answers. And so you'll read about Babylon in Revelation. You won't read about the place in Iran. You're going to read about the philosophy of better human answers to human problems instead of divine answers to human problems. So you're going to read about that when you get there. It goes all the way back to the Tower of Babel. So now we're back to how many of you read the first book in the Bible? Yeah. Remember the Tower of Babel? Remember that whole story? When God commissioned Adam and Eve on the planet, he took two perfect people, he put them into a perfect environment called the Garden of Eden, and he told them that they were supposed to be fruitful and multiply. Now, they eventually got that part of it right. They were supposed to be fruitful and multiply, and they were supposed to spread out over the earth, and they were to take the Garden of Eden, and they were to expand its borders until it touched all of the land. They were to take this perfect place that God started and made a little central garden. And he said, you're supposed to do on the planet what I did for you. Expand the borders of that and reach out and fill the earth. That's what you're supposed to do. They gathered together, however many years later, in a place where they decided to say the very opposite of what God had said. Remember, human problems, divine answers, or better human answers. They got together in the plains of the Middle East and said, let's don't disperse, which is what God had told them to do. Let's don't disperse. Let's collect ourselves together. And then let's make a name for ourselves. They already had a name created in the image of God. Image bearers. They were already human. They had a name. They said, we don't want to be that name because it relates us back to God. We want our own name. We're going to make up a name for ourselves. So instead of dispersing, we're going to collect. Instead of accepting our identity from God, we're going to create a new identity. And we're going to build a tower and we are going to ascend into heaven. And the description that we have of Satan, the one who fell from heaven, was he said, I'm going to ascend to the throne of God. It's not good enough to be an archangel. I want to ascend to the throne of God. So here we have humans under the inspiration of Satan doing exactly what he did, being disobedient to God, saying, we have human problems. Let's come up with better human answers. Let's collect instead of disperse. Let's reject our identity in God and create a new identity for ourselves. And let's build a tower and let's get all the way up to heaven. And so then God comes down and he disperses them through language. Suddenly they can't understand each other and they are dispersed into language groups. And instead of learning their lesson, they disperse throughout the earth. And what do they do? Everywhere you go on the planet, they build pyramids. Everybody keeps trying to build a tower to get to heaven and to make a name for themselves. This is our tribe's name. We own this territory. We name this territory after ourselves. And we build a tower in the middle of our territory so we can go to heaven. 
So you're going to read about Babylon. It starts all the way with the Tower of Babel, goes to a real kingdom, turns into a philosophy. You end up reading about it in Genesis all the way to Revelation. Pretty cool, huh? I preached all the way from the beginning to the end in one sermon, covered the whole Bible. It's amazing. So we're going to talk about those kinds of things. Um, We're not going to talk about political kinds of things. Thirdly, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. So I know that when we begin to talk about the kingdom of darkness and what it's trying to do and the kingdom of God and what it's trying to do on the planet, one of the things that will happen in that discussion is that you begin to see consequences and actions and you begin to see people trying to make something happen the way they think it should happen. So in that sense, in a very generic sense, there are a couple of conspiracies. God has a conspiracy. He's trying to save you from yourself. He's trying to save the environment from what we did to it. There's a conspiracy. God's trying to do something. Well, there's also the conspiracy of the kingdom of darkness. They're trying to do something. The kingdom of darkness is trying to separate you from God, trying to separate you from each other. He's trying to get you to believe that you have better answers than the ones that God has. So there is intent. There are things that are happening. All I'm going to say is I, I don't think a lot of times that the people that are involved necessarily know what they're doing. They don't know that they're cooperating with those things. It just makes sense to them at the time. So in spite of the fact that it, it, it does feel a little bit at times like you've been lied to. <laughs> Have you felt that at all in the last couple of months? <laughs> you know, like, wait a minute, you said this over here, and now you're saying this over here, and you told me I was supposed to do that, and then I was supposed to do this other thing, and I, would you people make up your minds? You know, it, 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 if that goes on long enough, you start to think that it's on purpose, and you, you turn into one of those conspiracy theory people, and I'm telling you, we're not interested in theories. What we're interested in is what does Scripture say? about what's going on on our planet and how does it teach us to respond. Those are the things that we want to to cover. Because Jesus came here with a plan. He didn't just show up by accident and say, I don't know what I'm doing. I'll just hang around for a while and then I'll go home. He had a plan. He was doing something on purpose. He was trying to save us from the mess that we had made. And so we we want to to follow through with kind of what that is that, that God's trying to do. I will tell you that as we begin to look at the themes in the book of Revelation, one of the things we're going to find is that there are some things that we're going to read that we're going to go, well, that's crazy. That ain't never going to happen. That's, just, that, that's not never going to take place. That's just, that's just nuts. Nobody will ever do that. So I, I, I need to know that I, I see a few other dinosaurs here this morning. So if, if you guys will, will, will bear with me. So, so the rest of, rest of you dinosaurs that are here with me, do you remember the guys a generation or two ago that would come to the churches with these big banners and they would string them up from one side of the church to the other across the front and they would explain to you the book of Revelation with all of their charts. They had the trumpets and the vials and they break the seal and this thing happened and they had it all charted out across. Does anybody remember those guys? You remember the, with, with, the, with the charts and stuff? Yeah, yeah. Every once in a while, they had to kind of mark it out because they'd put up who the Antichrist was and they found, oh, that guy died. So they had to put another, you know, they had to put another guy's name up there, you know. So every once in a while, they'd had to kind of cover up, you know, where they'd made some mistakes. But they they had the whole thing drilled in, right? 
And one of the big things that they used to use, it just, it would scare the bejeebers out of you because I don't know how you, you guys all grew up, but I grew up in a church where they scared you into getting saved every week. That was, that was the thing. They'd tell you, you know, this is going to happen. And if you don't get saved tonight, you're going to get hit by a bus. And when you get hit by that bus and you didn't come down to this altar, you're, you're going to hell. You know I mean? They used to scare you. And Revelation 13 was one of those places where they could just scare the bejeebers out of you. Because Revelation 13 talked about the mark of the beast. Yeah, I mean, that just sounds scary, doesn't it? The mark of the beast. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, you're going to get this horrible thing. And they would talk about the fact that you would get the mark of the beast and it was going to be on your hand or it was going to be on your forehead. So I remember as a kid going, oh, that's the craziest thing I ever heard of. Who's going to get some big tattoo across their forehead so they can go to Safeway and buy bread? That is, that's, I got money in my pocket. Safeway takes money. I don't need this big tattoo on my forehead to go down there and buy bread. I don't need any little thing on my hand so that I can go buy bread. That's just, that's just nuts. We don't need, that's the craziest thing I ever heard. You're just trying to scare me into getting saved again. I know where this is going. <laughs> Well, I live in a little different world than the one I grew up in. <laughs> and, and suddenly the mark of the beast is not something that's on my hand. It's something that's in my hand. I live in a world where that mark can easily be a chip exactly like the one in your phone and in your credit card. I, I live in a time when there are certain countries in Europe that no longer accept currency. Because you, you got that grimy money in your pocket and you hand out that grimy money to me and I got to touch your grimy money and now I get your virus. I'm not taking any currency. I'm staying on my side of the shield. You stay on your side of the shield. You swipe your card. We're good. But don't be handing me any of that dirty money. I live in a world that's already doing that. And, and given the fact that all of these other means of transaction can be stolen... I mean, somebody else can get your phone, you know, and yeah, if you got a relatively new one, you can maybe shut it off, but they steal your purse, they got your credit cards. They can use those until I find out that they stole them, and then I can try to shut it off. Wouldn't it be just so much easier? Because it's not likely they're going to chop your hand off, swing through Dutch bros, and wave a bloody stump in front of the machine and get away with it. It's just probably not going to happen. So wouldn't it be so much more convenient if they just put the little chip in your hand? I don't have to touch any dirty money. You don't have to touch any dirty money. It's an electronic transaction and nobody can steal my money anymore because it's right here. I live in a way different world than the one when I was a kid where they tried to tell me you had to have some weird thing written on your forehead to buy food. It suddenly makes sense. And especially the concept that says your vaccination record will be part of that chip. And by the way, you want to go to a duck game? You want to go to a concert? If you can't scan your vaccination record, we're not letting you in. Because you haven't been vac vaccinated. See, the stuff that when those guys came with the big charts... And tried to tell me about Revelation chapter 13. I went, that's the silliest thing I ever heard. Nobody's going to go for that. I'm looking at it now going, I think everybody's going to go for that. It just makes sense. 
It's so much easier, it's so much cleaner, it's so much simpler, so much safer. It's a wonderful human answer to human problems. And the book of Revelation warned me that that was coming. So I will tell you that when we look at some of these other themes, some of this stuff is going to be like, well, that's not going to happen. It might just be you haven't lived long enough to find out it is going to happen. Because 50 years ago, that sounded nutty. Today, it makes sense. What's going to make sense tomorrow that you think sounds nutty now? That the book of Revelation is telling you is going to happen. You know, scripture says that Satan is the prince and power of the air. That, that doesn't mean that he's a weatherman and that he's responsible for the atmosphere. What that means is, is that he's responsible for the influence that happens through the kingdoms of this world. And the, again, this constant concept and suggestion that says, here's a human problem. What we need are better human answers. But the one who's motivating those human answers is Satan himself. So in what ways do the current events, the things that we've gone through, reflect on the predictions of Scripture? So let me just give you a couple of the themes that come out of the book of Revelation. One of the themes that comes out of the book of Revelation, and again, you read about it, and it's got wormwood and things falling from heaven, and you got the stars going dark, and you got the water being bad, and you got fire taking place, and there's all these. So you can see that as a theme, these constant kinds of natural disasters. So one of the things in Revelation is the increase in natural disasters that that is going to be a part of what is going to happen prior to the return of Jesus. And one of the things that we've experienced is a natural disaster that has in fact been worldwide. Most, most disasters that happen are not worldwide. They're somewhat regional. It floods in a particular place. There's a famine on this part of a continent somewhere. There's a group of people over here that get this particular disease or this thing. This is, this is one of the few times that we've seen something that is worldwide that has affected everybody. The book of Revelation says that will happen more, not less. That's one of the themes that you'll see. One of the other themes that you will see is that in an attempt to protect ourselves from that natural disaster, we will give more and more power to fewer and fewer people who can control our lives and save us from whatever it is. And we've watched that happen in this situation. More and more power and authority has been concentrated into the hands of fewer and fewer people who are making up the regulations that everybody else has to live by. And eventually, the book of Revelation says they're not going to be satisfied with just having power and authority. They're going to want to be worshipped. They're going to want to be seen as somehow divine. Ooh, we have such incredible human answers to human problems that these humans that were smart enough to figure it out must be godlike. And that's one of the other themes that runs through the book of Revelation. I think we've seen those kinds of things happen in our own time. Along with that comes eventually a political, cultural control over worship. Where you can worship, when you can worship, and what you worship begins to be controlled. Because the people that have the power want the praise. They don't want it to go to God. Those are some of the themes that you see coming out of the book of Revelation. In our culture, which is different than how it's been in other cultures... Because I know some of you are, some of you are, are, are frustrated with, with our governor. Um, and, and probably when I called her Queen Brown a couple of weeks ago, it gave you a little indication of my level of frustration. 
Um, you know, <laughs> she needs to be the governor, not the queen, you know. But so we, we get this, that we, 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 there's some frustration with this consolidation of power and someone taking control over our lives. Completely different experience in the Philippines. If you were experiencing this COVID-19 thing in the Philippines, what you would find is that if you were under the age of 16, if you were over the age of 65, you would not be allowed out of your home. If you were between those ages, you could get out of your home, but you could only get out of your home at those times when the government gave you permission to get out of your home, and then for only three hours at a time so that you could go and like do your grocery shopping or take care of your errands or whatever it was, and then you had to return. If you were out when you didn't have a card that gave you permission to be out, they would arrest you. And if you happened to get on social media and complain about the fact that somehow you didn't get the card you needed or that they were, you know, they didn't let you go shopping or whatever, they would come and shut down your account and you would be arrested. So I will tell you, as frustrated as you may have gotten through all of this, it's been worse in other places in the world. But the pattern has been the same. More and more power in the hands of fewer and fewer people telling more and more people how they have to live, which is one of the themes that we see in the book of Revelation. Our founding fathers were afraid of that concept. Now, some of them were afraid of it because they were students of history. So you get a guy like Thomas Jefferson who simply looks at human history and says, every time you give social, political, military, economic power to few people or to one, the whole king concept, when you do that, that person eventually ends up corrupt, using its power to manipulate the rest of us and exploit the rest of us. So that's why he would have said that. Others like... Um, uh, Adams, John Adams, who was familiar with Scripture, would have read the book of Revelation, said, I don't want to see the consolidation of power because every time it happens, as the book of Revelation predicts, they will use that to exploit the lives of the people around them. And so for varying reasons, our founding fathers said, let's have separation of powers. And so we have this very awkward decision-making process, right? And, and everybody's frustrated with that's one. That's one of the few things everybody in America agrees with is that Congress is inept. You know, you read any poll and everybody agrees that guys aren't getting their job done. But part of the reason they can't get their job done is not just because of all the kinds of issues that are, are put out there, but it's because the system itself is designed to slow them down so that no one person can gain too much power over everybody else. That was the way our, our society was put together. What we've experienced in our society that is very much what the book of Revelation says and what this virus event has shown us is that all of those precautions that were written into those documents, the founding documents for us, how easily those things can get tossed aside and sweeping controlling mandates can take away the very freedoms that supposedly those documents protect. That's simply been how we in our culture have experienced what the book of Revelation says is going to happen as these natural disasters become more intense and more frequent. And human answers are offered instead of divine answers. And so we see this change. I, I, I simply want to offer to you this idea that having assumed absolute control over our lives to save us from the flu and our willingness to submit to the suspension of our civil rights for the perceived greater good simply sets the stage for it to be easier to do the second time. And the severity of the control will be greater. What makes that reality so striking is that it's what the book of Revelation says is going to happen. 
It's exactly what the book of Revelation says is going to take place. And it predicts that we end up in this place of, to, of, of total control by the group of small group of people or possibly one person. It's a little hard to tell in Revelation whether it's actually one person or just a small class of people, but they end up with control. But again, we get there so logically. You know, you sound like, oh, I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to submit to that kind of authority and that kind of control. You know, just like I was laughing at the guy with his chart and he's talking about the mark of the beast. That's that's the nuttiest thing I ever heard. But look what we have done in the middle of this viral thing. We basically looked around and said, you know what? I'm surrounded by a bunch of idiots. Those those people are going to cough and sneeze and spit and carry on all around me. They're going to give me some sort of horrible disease and I'm going to die. And if I don't die from it, I'm going to give that horrible disease to somebody else and they're going to die. We need somebody to take charge of this situation. We need somebody to come up with some rules to tell people how to behave and what they're supposed to do and where they can go and how long they can be there and who they can be there with. We need some rules and regulations. We got to get this situation under control because it's out of control and I'm surrounded by numbskulls. We got to fix this thing. And we went for it. So I don't know whether it's going to be, you know, COVID version two or COVID version three or the monkey flu from Ecuador. I don't know what it's going to be, but there are going to be more natural disasters. There's going to be more threats to our safety and security. And when they come, we are going to more and more and more and more easily give control to people so that they can tell us how to live our lives so that we can feel safe again. See, the stuff that's, in, that's predicted in Revelation is going to come to us because it makes sense. It's not going to come to us any other way. And we're going to cooperate with it. Unless we've read some things in the book that say, I think there's a Jesus answer, not a human answer. And I need to respond in faith, not in fear. See, we have to have a different orientation to this whole thing. When fear and anxiety begins to drive a social group of people, a cultural group of people, what's winning? The kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of God? Who's winning? God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. But when our society decisions are driven by fear, is that a motivation from the kingdom of darkness? Is that a human answer to a human problem? Or is that a God divine answer to a human problem? Who's winning? We've seen an awful lot of decision-making based on fear. That's a kingdom of darkness motivation. Now, I'm not saying that there wasn't something to be afraid of, that there wasn't something to respond to. I'm simply saying when the motivation becomes fear, then the kingdom of darkness is being advanced and not the kingdom of light. When people are drawn away from worship and put into fights for survival with one another, who's winning, the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of God? When your life is reduced to saying you can no longer publicly worship and you have to fight with your neighbors for toilet paper at Walmart, is the kingdom of darkness being advanced or the kingdom of God being advanced? Who's winning at that moment? Is the influence of Satan greater or is the influence of Jesus greater? 
When your place of standing before God as an individual responsible for yourself is taken away and you hand the responsibility for your own behavior to a group of other people who tell you how to live, is the kingdom of darkness being advanced or the kingdom of God? We've seen a huge shift planet-wide in the last few months in terms of the kingdom of darkness being advanced. Scripture tells us that there are two ways that Satan advances his cause. The first is he does it through intimidation or through fear, social shaming, thought control, to force people to behave in the desired ways that they are supposed to behave. In 1 Peter chapter 5, it says this, you should humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time God could, ex could exalt you. You should cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So you, you can cast your anxiety on a small group of experts and let them try to exalt you, but they don't care for you. Or you can cast your anxieties on God because he cares for you. He says, what you should be is sober-minded. And it, it's the opposite of being drunk. It's, I mean, it's the opposite of being chemically impaired. You should have clear thoughts. You should be sober-minded. You should be watchful. Why? Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Hey, <laughs> I, 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 went up, I went up to the wildlife safari thing. Have you guys ever done that? You go drive, drive through the car, you know, look at all the animals, right? And was it, was it the ostriches and those other things that like peck your windows out trying to get the food out of your car and stuff? Because they've learned that cars mean food, you know, and all that. So you done that? I was up there one day when the lions got agitated about something. And I don't know what the deal was. But we were right by where the lion pens were, and there was this one big old male lion on one side of the fence, and there was this other big old male lion on the other side of the fence, and the two of them were talking. And neither one of them were happy. I've never heard anything quite that frightening before in my life. I mean, I am in my car, and they are both behind these 20-foot high fences, and it's like, oh my gosh. I can't imagine what it would have been like to have just been like wandering around out in the trees and the bushes, and all of a sudden a couple of lions cut loose. I mean, the, the noise, the volume, I mean, the depth, of, it, was like, it was like jet engines roaring kind of thing. <laughs> this is an apt illustration. When Satan comes at you to intimidate you with fear and anxiety, he, it's loud and it's intimidating and it is terrifying. It's not, you know, I mean, sometimes we read this verse, you know, Satan is like a kitty cat that walks around and meows at people. No, he is like a roaring lion. He will scare the bejeebers out of you. And let's face it, we all face that early on. Oh, no, this horrible epidemic's coming. We're all going to die. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know who has it. Ah! Did you hear the lion roar? Did you hear the lion roar? And it was, it was pretty easy to get caught up in all of that, wasn't it? The lion was roaring. He goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You resist him. I, I got to tell you, it was way easier to resist those lions when they were behind a 20-foot fence. I was in my car and I could drive away. It would be way tougher for me to go get on their side of the fence and resist them. That would have been a whole other story. 
Resist them. Be firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brothers throughout the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. The other way that Satan uses to try to get us off point and to get our minds and our spirits and our emotions all confused and out of control is that he uses enticements or seductions, temptations, to try to deceive us into doing things. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul puts it this way. He says, And what I am doing I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim in their boasted mission that they work on the same terms as we do. He's talking about his opponents. He said, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing, being who I am, saying what I've always said, behaving as I've always behaved, treating people as I've always treated them. I'm just going to keep doing that. But I need you to know that there are some people who are coming along saying they're the same as me, and they're not. So it's a very personal thing for him. He says, these type of people are false apostles. They are deceitful workmen. They are disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, because even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will correspond to their deeds. When, when Satan comes to us to suggest that there is a human answer to a human problem, he does not come to us with bad breath, yellow teeth, dressed in a red suit with a pitchfork. He just doesn't do that. Because, I mean, let's face it, people that don't even believe in God or believe in Satan would not listen to someone with yellow teeth, bad breath, and a red costume and a pitchfork. If that guy came along and said, here's what you should do, you're going to go, I don't think so. Hey, invest your money this way. <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, nobody's going to listen to that guy. He comes as an angel of light. He comes in a three-piece suit. He comes dressed up like a doctor. He comes dressed up like a financial advisor. He comes as an angel of light. Why could nobody's going to listen to a guy in a red suit with a pitchfork? It's not going to happen. Well, I mean, there are a couple people might, but most people are not going to listen to that guy. He comes as an angel of light. And here we are hearing these suggestions and they, oh, they make so much sense. Let's not call it the mark of the beast. Let's just call it a convenient way to do commerce. Let's not call it a human answer to a human problem. Let's just call it letting the experts decide. It just makes sense. Somewhere along the line, we have to think like Christians. Look at what the book says and take notice and begin to respond in those ways. So, so what's, what's been your response? Has it been a faith and a trust in Jesus? Or has it been a fear and an anxiety? Is it, has it been compassion and concern for others? Or has it been, you know, every man for himself? How much toilet paper can I get in the cart before I get out of here? I mean, what, what's your response been? Has it been faith? Or has it been fear? And in the midst of all of this stuff that's going on, I think we have one of the greatest opportunities, certainly that I've ever seen in my lifetime, 
to promote the kingdom of God. To speak speak light into darkness, love into hate, hope into hopelessness, strength into fear. We have an opportunity right now like I've never seen before. There is an opportunity for the kingdom of God to be advanced in the middle of all of this stuff that's happening. I mean, what better time to remind people you can either put your faith in other human beings who really don't know you or care about you, or you can put your faith in a God who already proved his love for you by his sacrifice on the cross. Are you going to trust their answers? You're going to trust God's answers. You have a choice here. And I don't even have to argue with them about which one makes the most sense. Because that's not the point. The point is, these people don't know you, don't love you, don't care about you. And if you give them enough power long enough, they will use it to exploit you. Read history if you don't believe the Bible. This guy over here, he loves you and cares for you. And he already proved it. Do you want his answers? Do you want their answers? Which way do you want to go? What better opportunity do we have to share the gospel than we have right now? In the middle of the stuff that's happening that God told us was going to happen before it ever happened. We have this incredible opportunity. No better time. We have seen, I think, a massive shift forward in the power and influence of the kingdom of darkness on our planet. It is an opportunity for us to respond with the power and light and love of the kingdom of God. This is our opportunity to do that. Don't don't let your message get wrapped up in politics. Jesus is the Savior, not Trump. It's not the World Health Organization. It's Jesus. Jesus is the answer. Well, I already told you earlier that I'm a dinosaur, and and this is going to prove it, because I want you to, to learn or remember an old, old song. Some of you might remember it. This goes all the way back, like, to the 70s somewhere. I mean, this, this song is ancient. I mean, you know, there's only four people on the planet that even remember it now. It's an it's, it's old, old song. It was written by a guy by the name of Andre Crouch. Just a God-given ability. I mean, a guy that could play the piano like no other and never had a lesson. God just said, I need you to play the piano and write some songs. He said, okay. He wrote this song. It says, Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him, there is no other. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Jesus is the answer. And you have that answer. You carry that answer. You are the light of the world. You are a city set on a hill. You are God's ambassador. He is making his appeal to the world through you. You have that answer. You are the mouthpiece of that answer. You are an agent of grace and mercy. You are that answer in flesh that Jesus is in totality. Jesus is the answer. Well, I think you sing better standing up, so I'm going to ask you to stand up because you sing better. Though don't sing too loud, you might project a virus on somebody. So just, you know, kind of, so keep it close. But I want you to learn this song. I want you to walk out of here with this song kind of ringing in your head. I want you to remember that no matter what you read tomorrow, no matter what happens, no matter what new regulation, no matter what new turmoil or strife or whatever breaks out, I want you to remember Jesus is the answer, not some human answer. Jesus is the answer.
tell you, God, we got a little sideways, got a little frustrated, got a little out of focus with some of the stuff that's been going on and some of the headlines and some of the arguments back and forth and the regulations and changing regulations, and it's, it's been a little much. Some of us got our eyes off of, off of you and back onto that stuff. We just turn our eyes back up on you. Help us, God, to be a light in a dark place. God, even as we read in that quote, hatred cannot drive out hatred. Only love can do that. Darkness cannot push back darkness. Only light can do that. Help us to be the people of light. Help us to be the people of love. Help us to love the people that are in front of us. We can't love all the other people we don't know. Help us to love the people that are in front of us. Help us to get that right. Help us to push back the darkness that's in front of us. Help us to push back the hatred that's in front of us. Help us to be light and love and mercy and kindness and grace in the midst of a situation that's out of control. Help us to be people of faith and courage and confidence in a place that's filled with anxiety and fear. Help us, God, to get there. Jesus, you're the answer. You're the answer for the world today. Today, you're the answer. Help us to believe that and to know that. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Lord, bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you. Be gracious unto you and give you peace. Go be a light in a dark place. We'll see ya.